Welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Nazia Siddiqui of Transcend. So welcome to the show, Nazia. Thank you, Allison. Thanks for having me. Yeah. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Nazia Siddiqui, and I'm the founder and uh, designer behind Transcend. It's a fashion brand that I launched in 2020, um, right when the pandemic was kickstarting. So it's been quite an interesting ride. But uh, yeah, and uh, um, I focus on um, putting a spotlight on textile art from South Asia, specifically India at this point. That's where I'm originally from. And I really wanted to make um, embroidery prints and just the beautiful natural textiles that are available um, in India in so much abundance. I wanted to make that accessible to women um, in the U.S. and Canada and then eventually all over the world. So that's kind of a very little tidbit about Transcend. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much I want to dive into, but um, let's kind of start at the very beginning. Um, do you have a background in fashion or kind of what brought you into the fashion industry and now starting a brand? Sure. Yeah. No. So I actually do not have a background uh, professionally in fashion. However, um, my mom has been uh, sewing clothes for me and my sisters and everybody that would, you know, that she wanted to give thanks to for as long as I've, as long as I can remember. She's also an amazing embroiderer. So she was, we always had um, fabric lying around, um, around the house. And so my love for fabric really started there, just watching her Mm -hmm. really be passionate about it. Um, She was always sewing and doing all these really artistic, creative things. Um, and then I mentioned that I'm originally from India. So mm-hmm. we used to live in India um, up until I was 15. So definitely my formative years were there and specifically a city called Lucknow, where um, it's, it's, if you don't know about the city, it's just known for its beautiful art, embroidery, um, really cultural heritage, food, everything, you know, all kind of mixed in. There's a lot of focus on fashion there from a perspective of um, these these heritage crafts that have been passed down from hundreds of years, generation uh, over generation. So it's something that is so common um, if you're there and you don't realize how amazing this this stuff is, um, like me, until I moved here to the U.S. and I just couldn't find any of it. uh, anywhere really um, when you do find when I did find um, embroidery or you know artistic elements within clothing it was I found it to be really low quality um, anything mm-hmm. high quality is found um, in couture actually a lot mm-hmm. of embroidery houses are in India for the large uh, brands like you name it you know there's um, the famous I think Jennifer Lopez uh, uh, green gown was embroidered in India as well so Uh you don't really hear that side of things about Indian um, textile industry and Mm -hmm. I'm what I'm really trying to do here with Transcend is put a spotlight not just on the beautiful clothes but also the makers behind it because often their stories are just not shared. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. And there's so much that goes into that. And I think people who aren't, you know, maybe haven't traveled as much globally or aren't familiar with how kind of the behind the scenes of fashion industry works, that there are certain regions of the world that are really known for their um, artisanal skills in certain areas. And that's not found, you know, everywhere. Like there, I'm sure Mm -hmm. there are certain people all over the world who are skilled in embroidery, but like as a country or as a region that's producing clothes at a larger scale, like there, there are those areas in the world of that expertise that you can't always find, you know, local (laughs) to whatever country you're in. So yeah, learning to appreciate the, um, just how those crafts have been developed and that, you know, like you said, the people that actually, you know, work and do those, do those beautiful, you know, uh, embroideries and textiles and appreciate, yeah, kind of the regional knowledge of those crafts is, is really cool, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All of, all of what you've said, Allison, I think it's so interesting too, because globally, right? I mean, there are these cultures that have evolved over thousands of years, of course, um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of different cultures across the world um, have really honed in on different skills related to textile art, um, whether that's embroidery or prints uh, that that is local to the region. So my goal with Transcend down the road is really to go beyond South Asia um, or at this time, it's just India, actually. So go beyond India and get out of that comfort zone a little bit and really be able to do the same thing we're doing for the artisans in India um, across the board for multiple countries. I know there is amazing artisans in um, Mexico, South America. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just, you know, there's so much opportunity there. And, and also the main opportunity, in my opinion, is to prevent these crafts from dying. Um, mm-hmm. Because what at least I've noticed in India is happening is there's so much exploitation of labor that happens in, mm-hmm. um, in India. I know that for sure. Um, that the next generation, right, there's no incentive for them to stay within this industry. And mm-hmm. for good reason, right? Like unless you pay people a decent living wage and really treat them like, you know, they're, they're part of your company. It's such a major part for fashion brands. Um, mm-hmm. What incentive do they have to not just go, you know, leave that all that art and um, knowledge they have and, uh, and go to something that's, you know, actually going to pay them a living wage. So um, absolutely understand that perspective, too. So with Transcend, really important is something really important is to make sure that everybody in my supply chain is being paid living wages, um, as well as uh, profit sharing that we do for every piece that's uh, purchased from us, we share um, in addition to the living wages, 2% of our revenues as well with them. That's amazing. I love what you're doing. So I'm curious, did starting the brand transcend, did it, did it stem more from wanting an outlet to show these skills or did you also see kind of a need um, on, on the consumer side of things, um, mm-hmm. looking for these pieces, looking for this more um, skilled craft and embroidery in their clothes, or was it a little bit of both? Yeah, it was definitely a little bit of both. Um, I think it probably started off with me feeling like I couldn't find the clothes that I, you know, that I really loved out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I went shopping, 
um, in the US, right? After moving here, of course, the aesthetic is completely different, which is totally fine. But mm-hmm. not, you know, it's after enough shopping trips and not finding the dresses that I loved, I re- really felt like, okay, wait, I come from this world where I know there's so much abundance of this beautiful, like artistic elements and clothing, um, which is just completely not non-existent here in this part of the world. There have to be more people like me who would like this stuff. And so really, you know, I, I, this is me back in like when I was 15, when I moved to the U S and, you know, as I was kind of growing up in San Diego, um, since then, um, really, I really firmly believed that fashion was going to start converging. Um, And there would be like, I think, you know, the fact that it wasn't accessible is probably why people don't wear it here. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if you were to make it accessible to women here, I really firmly believe that there would be a market for it. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's definitely something that I am so glad I started Transcend because I'm seeing that now. Yeah, so cool. Um, so, and I don't know if yeah. I answered your second, the second part of your question. Um, I think, you know, as I was thinking of starting this brand, it was also very important for me to put a spotlight on the artisans. And so, like I mentioned before, the craft is dying because people mm-hmm. are just, people just don't have the incentive to stay within the industry. And so for me, it was really important to start from scratch, right? Like when I'm building this brand to do it the right way. And, uh, and really like the way you do it is you treat everybody in the supply chain really well and, uh, um, and really, you know, give them the um, salary or wages that they deserve, but -hmm. also the recognition. And so it was, it was a no brainer for me to do that because they're the artists behind um, what I make. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree with that, that it, they're, I feel like in society, I've talked about this on previous podcast episodes too, of that the designers are kind of put on this pedestal as being like super, you know, like aspirational career, you know, kind of glamorous celebrity in a way. And then the people who make clothes are, if they're thought of at all, mm-hmm. are, it's thought of as an unskilled um, yeah. you know, job. And that's completely not the case. Like the, you know, designers only can make a living if there are amazing skilled people who are sewing their pieces and giving it the quality and vice versa. So it's really, it's all levels of production or the supply chain or however, however you want to say it that are important. And there's kind of an, an uneven weight of value placed on those different Mm -hmm. jobs. And yeah, not enough appreciation is given to the actual production and the skill that goes into that. And because it definitely, it definitely is a skill, like not everybody can do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You're so right. Um, That's, that's definitely my observation as well. And, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely um, gut-wrenching a little bit, right? Like as I started Mm -hmm. researching about the conditions of the uh, factories and just manufacturing in general, it's, no matter where you go, I feel like that is where there is no spotlight being focused on who's making it, what conditions are they making it in. Um, I, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, because of the Rana Plaza incident that happened um, several years ago in Bangladesh, I think that mm-hmm. really 
put this issue kind of on the map, but then again, people move on and, you know, go on with their lives. So it's really important, um, you know, for brands like mine, um, we're, we're kind of not traditional, uh, very unconventional, um, starting out, you know, a brand from scratch, just based on sheer, <laughs> I don't know, um, this, this idea, right, that I've had for so long. And, um, and I know so many other my peers who are kind of in the same journey of starting their brands are so much more conscious about um, all of it, their entire supply chain. And so that's mm-hmm. very good to see. Um, but then again, there's so many components to this whole equation. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, like, how was it actually starting the brand and getting product made? I mean, you said you launched in 2020, so it's it's kind of been a crazy uh, world since then, especially, you know, making product in a different country that you're in and getting it here and, yeah, just starting a business in general during this time. What has that journey been like? Yeah, it's been very interesting and I've loved it. Um, I did not imagine that I'd be able to do this without actually physically, you know, visiting where the clothes are being made. Mm-hmm. But thanks to technology, <laughs> um, I've been able to virtually be present there. And uh, I've had several, several, several meetings um, with every single person that I vetted, um, vendor, manufacturer, artists, and organizations um, to just make sure that, you know, the values that I want transcend to embody are basically, you know, their values as well. And so Working with um, people in India who share my values has been really important. And that has taken, you know, just conversations after conversations and making sure that um, I'm not rushing the process because, um, again, my whole uh, concept is slow and thoughtful fashion. So mm. it's, it's definitely taken um, quite a bit of time for me to do the research. So while I registered my business in 2020, um, I didn't actually launch my first collection until 2021. So gotcha. um, it took me a while to um, find my manufacturers, uh, meet with them virtually, um, talk to them about everything from concept of my design to their capabilities, um, their ethical practices. Um, and then uh, it's, it's really, you know, it's a very interesting process because especially being so far away um, Mm -hmm. from where the fabric is and where the um, textile embroidery is happening. Um, I basically designed uh, and sketched out my concepts, sent it to them. They put together something rough, like, um, you know, just embroidery samples and um, ultimately fit samples where, you know, they kind of put together what the garment would actually look like in a completely different fabric. Um, and then I looked at that, they sent that over to me. Um, and then from there, we went on to creating final samples after many iterations. So mm-hmm. that was a process, but uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to connect with people thanks to technology again mm-hmm. um, online and just, uh, and just go from there. And it's quite amazing how you just, once you start, things start to branch out and you start to make those connections and network. Yeah, so how did you find the artisans and factories that you are working with on this collection since you couldn't like go and visit and even a lot of trade shows have been (laughs) virtual um so yeah yeah, how did you even meet these people in the first place to start having these conversations oh yeah that's a good question um so I think 
right before, like when we were starting to hear about some things going on in China, mm-hmm. um, this was early, I think, 2000, oh, sorry, early 2020, mm-hmm. I had already booked my ticket to go to Las Vegas to the Magic Convention. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and Magic is like a really large trade show that happens annually um, in Vegas. And yeah, so I think it's a I, couple times a year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went there and then um, it was really interesting because, you know, we were just starting to hear about COVID at that time. It, nothing was shut down in the U.S. But mm-hmm. once I got there, we learned that uh, vendors from China were not coming. So mm-hmm. I think either because of their own country's quarantine rules or I know U.S. was not really um, putting any stoppages. But um, in any case, I was fortunate to get that one trip in right before things shut down. Um, And that's where I met so many different vendors and manufacturers um, and was able to have conversations with them kind of face to face about Mm -hmm. their practices and um, and their capabilities. So that was really helpful. And yeah, yeah, and then just going from there, I continued the conversation and really weeded out quite a few different um, manufacturers and found um, there's one person that I met that checked all my boxes who I have continued to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in addition to that, I also reached out to different artists and organizations over DMs on Instagram. And luckily, you know, there there's quite a few. Um, now on uh, Instagram and have their accounts and they're pretty active so I was able to reach out to them and start conversations there nice yeah so a combination of like trade show and Mm -hmm. just social media research and and connecting yeah I love that and yeah I think magic normally is like the third week of February or something is the spring one so literally yeah right before COVID exactly Uh, that's crazy um so what were you said you know there was the one manufacturer that like ticked all your boxes um what were those boxes like what were the things that you were looking for um Mm -hmm. in a factory that were important to you either values wise or you know i I think maybe capabilities wise a little more straightforward but yeah what were the things you were looking for well, on the capability front, right, it's very interesting because as a small business, when you go and talk to large scale manufacturers who are usually very traditional, right, the first thing that they ask is, what's your volume? Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> for me, it was like, I definitely did not want a huge inventory. Our first collection was entirely on a pre-order basis. So it was a matter of somebody who was open-minded um, and was willing to kind of work on this new model that uh, I was proposing where, you know, I really did not, I really disliked the idea of so much inventory waste that is just uh, part and parcel of the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. So um, it was really important to me to work with someone who was willing to be nimble and um, think unconventionally because um, that is definitely how I think and be willing to uh, try new ideas uh, if it made sense. So mm-hmm that mindset was important to me. Um, And as well as um, from a values perspective, I talked to them quite a bit about their practices, um, their wage wages that they pay to their factory workers, uh, what kind of conditions they live in, um, what kind of certifications they have, any audits they get done, um, you name it. I mean, all of those different things were Mm -hmm. very important 
to me. And of course, from a more practical sense, right? Can they even execute on um, the kind of clothing that I envisioned and was going to be designing? So um, all of those things and then some more, <laughs> but <laughs> several conversations later, you know, we finally, you know, came to the agreement that they were going to do it on a pre-order basis with me, even though they, um, they make clothing, they're pretty established um, uh, factory. And so they make clothing for large names out there. And um, I was just glad that um, they were willing to work with me on this. That was one thing I was going to ask is, did you find that there were a number of um, manufacturers willing to work on a pre-order basis because that's kind of mm-hmm. you know make samples then you don't really know what the volume is until yeah. after the pre-orders or was there still kind of some pushback or some hesitance from a lot of people on that kind of newer leaner model yeah a lot of pushback from a lot of manufacturers but you know that's an indication to me too because I don't necessarily want to work with somebody who is so set in their ways that they can't see a a new way of working. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, that's probably a pretty big problem currently in the industry and um, contributes to so much of our issues. Um, What has, what I have noticed like now being in the industry for the last couple of years is that there is a new wave of, um, business owners that are coming up, they're, they're more innovative, they're, they have a very completely different mindset, Uh, they're open-minded and uh, are willing to think about, okay, what can we do differently? Does it make sense? Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there potential? So making decisions, not just based on what is, but what could be, is something I look for um, in everybody that I work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've even found this pandemic has somewhat broadened um people's perspectives on this and kind of like looking at a new way of working because we're Mm -hmm. the fashion industry sometimes like I feel like moves into the future kicking and screaming like we're very old school for Mm -hmm. the most part we're uh, you know have set in kind of the ways things have always been made or done but then uh, the pandemic I think has really accelerated Um, a lot of the technology and a lot of kind of rethinking how we've done things you know we've all been forced to you know work from home more and work virtually more and who who knew we could source fabric over the internet right right um without like seeing it at a trade show or in person and 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 just looking at you know with shipping delays and with unknowns of you know COVID lockdowns and and whatnot that placing really large orders Mm-hmm. You, you know, it may not arrive for the season you want to sell it in. <laughs> right. And so like, how can we rethink this and be a little bit more, um, yeah, not overproducing, but better at just meeting demand where it's at in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen some, uh, some like moving forward a little bit and, and like more openness towards rethinking the status quo in, in terms mm-hmm. of production. But yeah, it definitely, it, it's, it's kind of on that like growing pain stage where right. it's it's difficult, it's costly to do things different, yet it hasn't kind of really ramped up to the point where it's it's easy to do things a new way yet. Completely. Yeah. It's everything is basically um is met like anything new you want to try is usually met with wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> are you are you saying so I mean simple things, right? Like 
simple to me because I'm not a part of the industry conventional or traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm like, um, why can't we replace fabrics where, you know, we're not um, reliant so heavily on polyester? Mm-hmm. And um, there's so many other alternatives out there. Why can't other companies do that? And I think, you know, a it's lot more of costly, <laughs> costly, exactly. It's costly exactly. for now. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's costly. It impedes profit margin, but there comes a time, right, where you have to think about, okay, there's a trade-off here. What are we willing, what are we settling for Mm -hmm. to have that profit margin for the short term? Because, you know, what what we're not going to have for the uh, long term is um, like our natural resources and people, right? People and human rights. Those are, those have to be um, top. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say, Profit is very important too. It's if you're running a business, obviously you want it to be profitable. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if it necessarily has to be at the expense of um, the other components, people and planet. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And there there always are those trade-offs. It's kind of the short-term profit versus long-term profit mm-hmm. or sustainability, like literally being yeah. able to sustain the business or lifestyle or people's people's livelihoods long-term, you know, there is that trade-off, but um, yeah. So what, when you were first meeting with these um, manufacturers and these artisan groups and talking to them early in 2020, did you already have kind of a collection or the pieces in mind that you were wanting to develop or was it still more in a concept stage at that point? Yeah, it was, I had not designed uh, anything up, up until that point because I wanted to make sure that I could have an infrastructure that it was feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I started to get some traction with these um, suppliers, I was able to then get really put my pen to paper and come up with these designs. Um, and so you'll see like, if you go on my website, uh, my mm-hmm. first collection, Blooming Rose is very inspired by what the world was going to be like after COVID. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so because I designed it lockdown, like in, in the pandemic, it's very anti everything that I was experiencing at the time, which was, you know, dark colors and sweats and Mm -hmm. really (laughs) just being comfortable. Um, Not that my clothes are not comfortable. I actually comfort is a very key element of my designs but just Mm -hmm. the aesthetic of it um I was like yeah what sweatpants versus like something fun and and pretty and exactly coming out of the pandemic I really want people to be able to enjoy colors again and uh, and be vibrant and make you know bring uh, for their clothes to bring them joy so it's a very fun uh, colorful vibrant collection Mm -hmm. and I think that's right on trend like I'm seeing so much color and and brightness and just kind of like everyone just through through uh not literally necessarily but through glitter on everything and it's like we want yeah. something that's fun and like celebratory and colorful okay. so yeah yeah cool so um so you you it's, it sounds like you did like a lot of research and a lot of kind of not necessarily proving but testing testing the concept on the production side like is this feasible can we can I make these type of pieces before you really started did you do something similar on the consumer end to you know Mm -hmm. in certain terms of like market research or um 
even what price point would work for these types of designs for your target market. You know, you mentioned profitability is important for a business too, which is totally true to like think of, are these costs going to work for who's going to be buying these? Um, Did, did you also do kind of like research or planning on that side of things before you really got going with designs too? Yeah, definitely. So um, again, because you know, I was kind of new coming into this, um, not new on the business side, because my background is uh, within business, I have uh, quite a bit of experience um, working for different Fortune 500 companies and improving their processes and really seeing kind of the nuts and bolts of how businesses are run from the back end. Um, And uh, so that was a really important asset for me as I started thinking about launching um, and so I did go um, start out with uh, or started out with uh, doing customer surveys and really listening to the people that I was going to be um, making these designs for. Mm-hmm. So that was a very huge, I guess, um, insight for me, uh, just just hearing their thoughts on everything from designs, what what's their favorite piece in their closet? What does it look like? Help see like uh, hearing them describe it um and then also learning about what makes them not want to wear something more than a couple times like what what are some of the reasons why you perhaps stop wearing something um I really went into wanted to get into the mind of the consumer Mm -hmm. um and understand what their pain points are and uh and I thought I got some amazing insights which really informed my design decisions Mm -hmm. um yeah I and price point as well so my customer surveys were, you know, kind of touching on all of these different elements of um, the business and what I was going to, how I was going to launch and what the product was going to look like, where it was going to be positioned in terms of market positioning. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and yeah, just the functionality of it all. What, what is the customer preference for what they love and what they hate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So who is your target customer for um, Transcend? Like, how would you describe her? Sure. Yeah. I, so for me, the Transcend woman is um, in her anywhere from 25 to 50. And uh, she, she has a creative side to her. She loves um, artistic elements in her clothing and representing herself through how she dresses um she loves functionality and comfort too so does not want to um wear different pieces just to be able to be comfortable she wants to have um um kind of a one-stop shop like just put on a dress and walk out and feel amazing she loves to travel and meet different people she's a connector um, within her network and she's extremely resourceful and and she's also very technology savvy. So, um, so yeah, I mean, quite a, quite a bit to go, go into. I could yeah. get into right now, but <laughs> that's just a little bit. Yeah, that's fun. So in that customer research, which I think is so important. So I love that you did that. I always encourage like my clients to like, the more you know about your customer, it really does help inform design decisions, production decisions, mm-hmm. um, like every, every part of the, you know, marketing decisions for sure. Like every part of the business, it, it helps, like you said, to get inside your customer's head and, and know what their pain points are and what they care about. So but were there, was there anything 
as you're doing the um, research that maybe surprised you that you had gone in thinking like, oh, this is going to be what people care about, or I think this is going to be people's favorite piece in their closet that maybe was completely different than what you had thought? (laughs) Um, I think in my second collection um, that happened with one of the pieces that I was like, you know, I, I think it's great. It's just not something that is the top piece. Like I didn't consider it to be, it's my tile dress. It's the mini dress. Um, that's mm-hmm. like powder blue and short and, um, has these statement buttons that are hand embroidered. And that has, uh, somehow like I, so yeah, I could not have imagined that that would be my best seller from this collection, but it is. So <laughs> again, as soon as my husband saw that one, he was like, this is, this is the one. And, uh, <laughs> So he, he had that eye for it, but mm-hmm. clearly, even as a designer, uh, I did not predict that. Yeah, sometimes it's hard, like when you're so close to it, to look at it as objectively as somebody else who's maybe not quite as close or like personally invested in something. Um, I know like, I don't do that much designing, but when I, when I do, you know, design something, it, I always have to remind myself, like, I'm not designing this for me necessarily, (laughs) you know, unless I am, but, um, then it's, it's like getting the mind of your customer, you know, not necessarily my own personal preference of, I like this color or I like, you know, my dresses, this length or whatever. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So is it, is it just you, uh, like, are you the sole person behind the brand or do you have a team that can, that gives you feedback and kind of helps you with different parts of the process as well? So for the most part, it's me. Um, I do have freelancers, a couple of them that help me with social media and, um, and, um, some other elements like newsletters, SMS mm-hmm. marketing, um, so mostly on the marketing front. But uh, in terms of getting feedback, my sisters, my own personal network, my husband have been very instrumental <laughs> in getting that. Um, just uh, just kind of bouncing ideas off of them. They've been very generous with um, being available every time I've asked, and uh, that has been so helpful to be able to go to somebody um, and just you know kind of run things by. So. Mm-hmm. yeah nice yeah yeah there's so many brands I talk to it's like I, I'm always amazed by how much um small brands can do small as in uh just a smaller team or sometimes mm-hmm. a single person you know there's there's so much that um like you can accomplish like that you know I'm, I'm always amazed so um, but then it's always great to have that team of people either giving you feedback or to support you personally, just mm-hmm. in your business journey, or whether it be, you know, freelancers helping out with different tasks that they're experts in, um, mm-hmm. is always so great to have. Yeah, totally. I think it's such a, this is the um, dilemma for every solopreneur that kind of, you know, branches out and ha- sees their business grow. Because the decision of what to outsource and what to keep within, mm-hmm. you know, your repertoire is, uh, it's always something in the back of your mind because time is of essence for business owners uh, and entrepreneurs. And there's, you know, only so many hours in a day. So mm-hmm. um, something that I think I can speak for the entrepreneur community when I say all of us tackle with, mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> 
it's kind of part of the part of the journey and um, just part of the process. Yeah. So how did how did you decide what parts to, you know, hire a freelancer to help with and what pieces that you want to keep um, yourself doing? Yeah. um, I mean, there's just so many sides to running a business. And uh, for me, I have two kids, um, husband, and I also have a day job, actually. So (laughs) it's been, I I am busy. And I had to really make those choices very objectively about um, what should I, what should, what should I be spending my time on? And uh, what should I be outsourcing? And so it's been, um, you know, it's, it's, the answer just comes to you like as you spend more time on the business um there are things that are so critical that um are just you know it's something that cannot be outsourced because it's like the designs right unless I Mm want to work hire a designer and you know kind of go off of that model at this time I'm not doing that so I know the designing has to come from me Um, but marketing is something that I'm not an expert of. Um, so for me, it was kind of like, okay, that's where I can probably start soliciting some help from people Mm -hmm. who do this on a regular basis, um, for other brands and have some experience. Um, so that's been great to be able to have some people kind of help me out on that, on that front. Yeah. And I feel like you've been very successful with your marketing because, um, just, I've been following your social media for a while and it seems like your first and now your, your second collection have gotten featured in many publications in media and um, had some really cool looking pop-up events and everything. Um, yeah, were, were those uh, <laughs> things that you like strategized together with the people you're working with on marketing or yeah, what did it look like to launch the collection when it finally was all ready? Yeah, so you mean my second collection? Um, either one. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the first collection was kind of like, you know, me just uh, telling my network about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And my, you know, fledgling social media accounts, because um, I completely started from scratch, you know, I don't have a fan following or anything like that. So this is really organically who are the people who are discovering me on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so yeah, started really from there. With the second collection, I think, you know, now that I had a lot more data points, a lot more um, audience uh, that was interested in looking out for what's coming next um, on all fronts. So newsletters, SMS, as well as my social channels. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot uh, more fun, I would say, to to put out something, the new collection, and receive all this feedback and interest um, from consumers and um, and just supporters. Um, I did have another a launch event um, in New York uh recently maybe a few weeks ago which was really amazing um I collaborated with um um, a New York-based media company it's called Brown Girl Mag they're mostly heavily um their uh, platform is mostly social so on Instagram Mm -hmm. and um and yeah I mean it was a really fun event um and lots of people came by and um, and just, you know, learned about the brand, talked to me, uh, tried out the outfits. And it was just a really fun, um, fun thing to see, you know, so many people really give me live feedback on mm-hmm. what, how, what they think about the dresses, which was fantastic. Um, so yeah, definitely I'm doing a lot more in the second collection than I ever did in the first one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you mentioned, I've been doing some pop-ups. I have some additional ones planned um, coming up this month. So yeah, lots happening. And I'm sure with the, with the third collection will start to grow even more. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. It's so exciting. Um, did you see kind of like a big difference in the like response or reaction or even sales of the collection between the first and the second one? Yeah, I see a lot more engagement and sales with the second collection. Um, I do, people still talk to me about the first collection though, because they loved it so much. So I still, uh, yeah, uh, I was, um, so even though the first collection was entirely pre-order based initially, because I saw so much demand, I actually went and restocked the styles um, with a very limited batch. which I need to completely in its entirety put up on the website. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so I did that because spring and summer is coming up, which is going to be um, kind of a fun time for, for a lot of my pieces from the first collection. And, uh, and then the second collection, of course, um, saw an amazing response. I think the biggest difference was how many more people were able to see it as it launched, as opposed to mm-hmm. discovering it kind of down the road. Mm-hmm. um but yeah it's been you, nice yeah yeah that's so cool um did you also do pre-order only for the second collection or are those available in a small batch as well yeah so because now I had some data points right from the first collection I felt mm-hmm. confident that I could um I could order a very small inventory for the second collection and uh, so yeah it's it's not nothing big but uh, if I see that the inventory I have available runs out, then I might do another pre-order. Gotcha. And are you doing all like the shipping and of orders and uh, you know holding that inventory? Because that's all I feel like yeah. a whole job in <laughs> itself too. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, hauling them to pop-ups, all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's so many uh, like logistics of things of running a business, especially running a product business where you have, yeah, um, yeah to keep track of all of that and um, yeah, figuring out what sizes to order. But yeah, that was really smart to do pre-order for the first collection. So then you kind of knew like what what sizes and what pieces and what quantities to order for the, for the next collection in the restock. Yeah, totally. Um, and my biggest fear is just, you know, holding so much inventory that just doesn't sell. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, it's just not good for anybody. I mean, there's so much work and effort that goes into my pieces. I really want it to be um, really going to, you know, people's homes uh, once it's created. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's it's a big priority for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of the work and effort that goes into creating the pieces. And like we talked about earlier, the skill that goes into some of these textile arts. Um, how, I know that it's a challenge sometimes when we're like so conditioned to, you know, purchase cheap fashion. And like you, you said, you noticed that even embroidery, that embroidered clothes that you found in the States were not as high quality. Um, we're like almost conditioned to it to either expect a lower quality or to pay a lower price. Um, how do you um, like kind of educate or talk to your, your customers about the stories of the people and kind of adding the value back um, to these skills? 
because I think that's a challenge for a lot of brands that want to produce quality garments, but then run into, you know, there's a price point that comes with that too. Completely. Um, Yeah, it's such a, such an important topic to talk about because unfortunately in our society, the baseline has now been established by fast fashion. Mm -hmm. And that is a very uphill battle because um, unless consumers, right, uh, from the consumer front, unless they start to be interested in asking the questions, why is this $5, right? Like, why is this Mm -hmm. shirt just $5? (laughs) Uh, Because right now I feel like a lot of consumers just know that's the regular price. So when they see the higher prices, they question that Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, questioning questioning $5. Exactly. Um, and so a lot of what I do with Transcend is also education and uh, through my channels, um, you know, not just talking about products, but also really, um, first of all, spotlighting the experts in the industry, right, that are talking about it. So I'm constantly sharing their, them in my stories um, and also, you know, in, uh, also ourselves talking about um, things like um, the stories behind each piece that we create, um, who, who created it, um, and how much work went into it, how many hours of embroidery that took. Uh, we talk about a lot of that and in, in an effort to educate the consumer so that I am hopeful that one day we will have that dynamic shift where people are going to start questioning the cheaper product, right? As mm-hmm. opposed to um, the more expensive one because it seems too expensive to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just really interesting right now. I, you know, we've kind of spent the last two decades, right. If not more, um, where consumers have been bombarded with all these like styles, uh, coming into Zara and H and M. And it's so cool because all of that stuff that seems so trendy, um, it's, you know, super fashionable. You can look good on a budget. Um, so a lot, it's definitely made fashion very accessible, to people um but uh again I know I was shopping in those stores um when I was like in my going to college and in my 20s um and didn't really know but I think Mm -hmm. now it's becoming harder to um turn a blind eye towards why it's cheap right like we have enough uh events happening in the world where it's it's something that people have to start you know thinking about and start uh, asking questions about um, and same thing with uh, and probably more so with um, brands right there's a lot of responsibility where again that short-sighted thinking of um, uh, profit margins that I'm hopeful mm-hmm. will change um, but it's again <laughs> unless you know there's something uh, happening at a larger scale where there's coalitions being formed and um, these brands are really thinking through, okay, what is the impact that um, is resulting from having um, such cheap labor uh, or, you know, manufacturing being done in some overseas countries where we're not really finding out how it's being produced. We just care about that it's being produced, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that narrative is starting to change um, and people are starting to I know CEOs are starting to think about sustainability for one reason or another but um, but yeah no I it's 
it's just a work in progress right now. Um, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, you did. And I, I think, yeah, it's just, like you said, educating the, you know, the consumers need to be more educated about what really goes into making clothes and why, you know, what is the harm of something being $5? You know, what what is the cost of that? Um, right. And yeah, just, yeah. And then on, on the brand side, you know, what what is the short-term versus long-term thinking for profit margins and for materials and sustainability? Um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I totally agree. Um, so I'm curious uh, if there's special meaning to the name Transcend. Yeah, I so I picked Transcend because I love that word and I love what it means. Um, it means to rise above or go beyond um, and that's everything I'm trying to do with Transcend. Um, really, really questioning the conventions and uh, the limitations of geography, right? With the different mm-hmm. styles um, in different parts of the world, um, as well as other elements like um, inclusive, inclusivity, or um, just representation, right? Um, all of those things I feel like are part of what, why I, chose Transcend as the name of this business because we are transcending fashion on a regular basis. And it's going to mean different things, different years, because um, I take on these um, sustainability goals every year and, uh, and champion them and kind of build upon that. So again, really trying to transcend fashion here from what it is today to what I know it can become. Nice. I love that. Um, So uh, do you mind sharing what is your sustainability goal for this year? Sure. Yeah. So for 2022, um, I chose four goals, um, inclusive sizing, clean dyeing techniques, um, model representation and diversity, and to amplify artisan voices even more. So um, my goal is to advocate all four of these in addition to our four goals from the prior year and really champion it and and improve in each of these areas. We do take on quite a bit more um, than what I put put out um, like as a uh, official goals for the brand, Mm -hmm. um, just because there's, you know, I I feel like there's so much we can do simultaneous work. But it's about constantly improving within each of these areas. But by putting focus on these specific goals, we'd be able to um, really uh, put our resources and time behind it. Yeah, I like how you not just have goal, have like pillars of values for your brand, but that you're focusing specifically on things each year. Um, Because it is a journey, it is a growth where there's there's always area for improvement. So Um, I think that's great how you've kind of identified like this year, I want to improve the sustainability or the the representation of my brand in these areas, because I think that can be a really effective way to kind of take those steps forward, because it is kind of like one step at a time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I think it's it can be really overwhelming, too, because you want to be a sustainable brand, but the industry is just not set up to facilitate that, right? Mm -hmm. So the best I think you can do is acknowledge that it is a journey and, um, and really have that into the intention to work towards um, greater sustainability on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. 
Well, I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one of those values to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? Sure. Um, I think if it's hard to pick just one because there's so many. <laughs> I know. Right? But, <laughs> but for me, um, choosing good material is extremely important. Um, material that goes into um, my clothing. I So I've started with, you know, making sure that I never use any polyester. That's a, that's a promise that I make to the consumers, uh, my customers, that I'm not going to be using any polyester blends, no matter how expensive my fabric gets, because, <laughs> you know, I'm not diluting it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, the, the good thing is I have the, um, like I'm the decision maker, right? So I can mm-hmm. make those calls um, to, yes, I have to forego on the profit margin there, but to me, it's more important to have cleaner materials um, that I put out in the world. Um, so yeah, materials, I would say is huge. And it's, um, and it's, it's not a second because it's very important also, mm-hmm. but uh, my supply chain, like I really care about the people that are part of it. And, uh, and I want to make sure that the artisans and the tailors and the people who are steaming and pressing my clothes, right, to get mm-hmm. it ready, those people are, are the backbone of my business and I want to keep amplifying their voices. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Um, and yeah, even, you know, what else people don't even think about, like there, there's somebody who needs to like iron and press the pieces in production, <laughs> like even those, you know, like kind of forgotten about, about steps, like there's still a person behind that. So um, yep. I love that you're, you put the focus on, on them. It's an important part of your business. Um, well, this has been so fun to talk to you, Nazi. I'm glad we finally were able to connect. Uh, where can people find out more about you and Transcend Online? Sure. Yeah, Allison, it's been a true pleasure talking to you as well. And uh, I really enjoyed our chat today. Um, people can find Transcend um, online um, on my website. It's wheretranscend.com. And um, as well as my Instagram, it's also um, at where it, uh, where it transcend. Wonderful. And I will include links to those in the show notes as well. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Allison. Have a great day. You too. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.